Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are going to take a break from reading 2 Corinthians together uh, during this Advent and Christmas tide. Uh, instead, what we're going to do um, is a bunch of different things, but we're going to spend the first three weeks reading from Luke's gospel uh, about the Advent of Jesus. These are actually going to be the gospel readings uh, that are found in the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, it's a schedule of scripture readings that many Christians in uh, many different traditions all over the world uh, follow together and use in worship together every Sunday. You know, we uh, here at Covenant like to use the lectionary from time to time. We like to follow it as a way of reminding ourselves that we are part of a larger people that God is growing. That we're a part of something that's bigger um, than just us here at Covenant. Following the lectionary is a way of being connected to millions and millions of sisters and brothers all over the world. I mean, this morning, I would guess that there are going to be almost a billion Christians listening to and thinking about the same teaching from Jesus this morning, and that is pretty great. There uh, is another reason uh, I like using the lectionary, especially during Advent, and it is because it takes us off of the familiar paths. And here's uh, what I mean by that. Um, Advent isn't just about remembering that Jesus came to us. Advent is also about remembering that Jesus will come to us. Uh, during Advent, we certainly remember Bethlehem. We remember that line in the Creed that says that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. But Advent is also about that other line in the Creed that says that Jesus will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And so during Advent, we stop and we strain to see and we strain to live in light of what we call the end of time, when Jesus returns with both judgment and healing to make everything new again. And that is precisely what Jesus teaches about in Luke 21, and it is uh, a doozy. So let me read that for us. I'm going to read Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask as we uh, think about um, this word that we've just heard, that your son taught, that he spoke to us, um, that you would use it to draw us closer to him, to that, as we heard in the Old Testament, to that righteous branch of Jesse, that helper of David, Father, help us uh, to draw near to him. Help us to see his grace to us and to this whole world more clearly. Give us this hope in his advent. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, about uh, six weeks ago, uh, I broke my foot. Some of you might have noticed me walking around in one of those boots. I know a few of you mentioned it. I was walking around in one of those boots for the last uh, five or six Sundays. And so I finally got to stop wearing it this week, and I'm super uh, happy about that. But I have to tell you that based on my own observations, based on the, the way things were looking to me, um, that I wasn't sure that that was going to happen. 
I mean, when I uh, first saw the doctor the morning after I broke my foot, she showed me the x-ray. And even though uh, it wasn't a bad break, um, it was still uh, super clear to me what was going on. There were two bones on the outside of my foot that were not touching. It looked exactly like I expected a broken bone to look. And so she told me uh, to come back in two weeks for another x-ray and a follow-up. She gave me that boot and I walked out. So I came back in two weeks, and uh, she showed me the new x-ray side-by-side with the old one. And when I saw it, I was uh, taken aback a little bit because it looked exactly the same as the first one to me. Two bones, not touching. (laughs) So uh, I expressed my thoughts and concerns about that to the doctor, and it was clear that it was not her first rodeo. So she told me it looked fine. It's exactly what she hoped to see. She told me to come back in four weeks for another x-ray and follow up. So I did that on Wednesday of last week. She told me, your x-rays look great. And then she put all three of them, from the beginning, the middle, and the end, she put all three of them up side by side. And when I saw them, I have to say I almost lost it because my two not-touching bones were actually further apart in my eyes. Um, And I once again uh, expressed my thoughts to her and my my concerns to her about this situation. And uh, she laughed with what I suppose was kindness and forbearance. And she explained to me very scientifically why it looked like that and why it was okay. Um, And it was a good thing. She reassured me that what I was looking at was not bad, um, that it was actually very good. So uh, I trusted her and I walked out without that boot on. And that is very much, uh, very much like what Jesus does for the disciples and for us in that teaching that we just read together. He uses this incredibly evocative language about distress and about cataclysm and about trouble in the created order. He says that some people are going to faint with fear and they're going to faint with foreboding, that the nations will be perplexed when they see all that's going to happen. And it looks really bad. But Jesus says, no, it isn't bad for you. He gives us a totally different way to look at those things. And he says, it's really good for you. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And church, that is always the unfathomably good news of Advent. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So here's what I want to ask. What does that mean for people like us in places like this. So Jesus says these things uh, during his last week in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, uh, the very first story that Luke tells us about after Jesus finishes this teaching is the one where Judas figures out a way to betray Jesus into the hands of the leaders in Jerusalem because they have been seeking a way to get rid of him. Jesus says all of this stuff at the end of a very intense and difficult week that's been marked by conflict with the religious leaders and the political leaders. And it's been conflict that's happened in and around, a lot of the time, the courts of the temple. And that's where we are when Jesus says this thing. 
And Luke tells us at the beginning of the chapter that one of the people who is with Jesus says, Jesus, look around. Look at this beautiful place. Look at this temple. It's adorned with such noble stones. And, of course, it was a beautiful place. But then Jesus, um, out of what seems like nowhere, says this. As for these things that you see, there will come a day when there will not be left here one stone on another that will not be thrown down. Jesus tells them this day is coming when this beautiful building that they're looking at will be raised to the ground. And I'm pretty sure this was the very last thing that anyone expected Jesus to say in that moment. And so they do what a lot of people do when they hear something that's hard to believe. They ask for some corroborating evidence. They say, Jesus, give us a sign. You know, what will be the sign when all of these things are going to take place? And, And Luke 21 is Jesus' answer to that question. And it is mysterious, and it's scary, and it's beautiful. And it's bracing. In the first half of the chapter, Jesus tells them about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple by Rome. He tells them what will happen to people like them in those days. And of course, 35 or 40 years after Jesus said these things, it happened. Rome came and sacked Jerusalem and tore the temple to the ground. But then in verse 25, which is where we started reading Jesus' teaching, he clearly shifts away from what he's been talking about, about Jerusalem and the temple, to talk about another cataclysm that's coming. And this one is much larger than the one that happens in Jerusalem. This one is one that he will play a central role in. And this one is the one in which all of the fullness of God's promises to his people will be realized. Jesus is talking about his second advent, his second coming. And there'll be signs for this one, Jesus says, but they won't be in and around this city. They will be in the sun and the moon and the stars. And the earth will be in distress and nations will have perplexity and people will faint with fear and they will have foreboding about what's to come because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You know, the the first advent of Jesus... (laughs) The first one that Luke tells us about back in the beginning of his story, and that's a lot easier on all of us than this. (laughs) You know, the first advent of Jesus has all those great things, right? There's glad announcements and angel choirs and beautiful songs, and the star shows up in the sky, and shepherds get visited and sung to, and of course there's this little baby. And you know, it can almost feel uh, tranquil to us and domesticated. It is, it is not tranquil, and it is not domesticated, but we do our best to bend it that way. But you can't do that with the second advent of Jesus. There's no domesticating fear and foreboding and perplexity and the shaking up of the created order of things. Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with great power and glory. He's alluding to Daniel 7, this vision of an indestructible, unending kingdom being handed over to the Son. And church, this is what we affirm. This is what we believe with all of the rest of the New Testament and with the creed when we say that Jesus ascended into heaven and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So what does that mean for us? 
What does the second advent of Jesus mean for us? Well, it means a lot of things. I just want to mention three. First, it says something about wisdom. Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to know that our world is not a closed, graceless, unforgiving spiral of ages stacked up on top of ages. And I think, church, that it's good for us to learn that. It's good for us to be reminded of that, that history doesn't spiral around in cold circles until the lights just burn out. I know (laughs) that's one really powerful narrative that's out there about the world, but Jesus wants us to know that that's not true. And it's good to be reminded that every one of us, every last one of us here this morning, everyone we've ever known or will know, we live within a chronology that is definitively heading somewhere. It is heading to the second advent of Jesus. And learning that and believing it and remembering it makes wise people out of us. I mean, when we live as if there are an endless supply of tomorrows, you know, for ourselves, for this world we live in, it leads us to all kinds of bad decisions. And it leads us to ignore really important things. Pretending that there is no real end leads us away from love of God and neighbor and not towards those loves. Teach us to number our days, Psalm 90 says, so that we can get a heart of wisdom And when Jesus tells us about his second advent, he is underlining that in bold, and it's for our good. But that's not all that this teaching means for us. (laughs) This is the second thing, and it's a thing about hope. I mean, please understand that this picture of Jesus in the temple courts, it's not that cliche. It's not that picture of a guy standing alone in a crowd with a sign that says the end is near. Jesus is not spreading fear when he teaches us this. He is spreading hope, church. He's spreading hope. When these things begin to take place, Jesus says, straighten up and raise your heads up to the sky because your redemption is drawing near. This is the day, Jesus is saying, when the gracious and unending rule of God will kick back the darkness in every corner of the world. It will kick back the darkness until the darkness bleeds daylight. This is the day when the justice and peace in which this world was made and for which this weary world longs so deeply, it will be established everywhere. All that stuff, all that stuff that old Zachariah sang about at the beginning of Luke's story, all of that stuff that beautiful old Anna hoped for, all of it comes true on that day. And it comes true for good, forever. In the words of the prophets, that's the day when justice will roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's the day when the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with it. That's the day. That is the day when violence will no longer be heard in our land. That's the day when the sound of weeping and the cry of distress are no longer heard. That's the day when he is going to make wars to cease to the end of the earth. That's the day when those of humble estate are exalted. That's the day when the hungry will be filled with good things. 
That's the day when the earth will be full of the knowledge of God like the waters cover the sea. That's the day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more and crying will be no more. Because that's the day when the former things will have passed away. And church, that day is certain to happen. (laughs) It absolutely will happen because it's been secured by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is a hard-won day, one at great cost, but willingly given by the God who loves us and loves this whole broken world more than we can possibly dream. The, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of the great uh, confessions in our tradition, puts it like this. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? And the answer is, in all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the curse from me. And not that I would add anything to this great confession, but I will say that he has removed the curse from the whole world too. That's why we sing in that hymn that he has come to make his glories known as far as the curse is found. He will remove it and restore us and the whole world to himself. And that's why we sing on the first Sunday of Advent every single year, O come thou day spring, Come and cheer our spirits with thine advent here. Straighten up, Jesus says. (laughs) And raise your heads because you're not going to want to miss any of this when it happens. It's the day that you, it's the day that the whole world has been made for and longing and waiting for. And this leads us to the third thing that Jesus' teaching says about his advent and what it means for us. This is the kind of hope Jesus is spreading, the hope of Advent, and it is the kind of hope that shapes our lives right here and right now. How does it do that? Well, you know how it is sometimes. It's easier to say first what it doesn't do. And here's what Advent hope emphatically doesn't do. It doesn't make us wistfully throw up our hands and say, well, at least one day it'll be better. I mean, it is ironclad true that one day it will be better. But knowing that and hoping in that does not make us into a resigned people, and it doesn't make us into a cloistered, cut-off people who are just trying to get by as best we can until that day happens. I mean, if we really believe in the Advent hope of the second coming of Jesus, if we really live and hope into it, you know what it does? It makes us into a busy, active, working people. The, the writer and theologian Cornelius Plantinga puts it perfectly. This is what he says. He says, we will work in the direction that we hope. We will work in the direction that we hope. I mean, that's just how humans tick. We move towards what we want. We move towards what we love. We move towards what we hope for. And so, church, if we believe that this world is going to be restored to justice at the advent of Jesus, if that's what we believe and hope for, then we will work towards the establishment of justice and peace right here and right now. 
if we believe that there is a day coming when there will be no more violence heard, then we will work towards the removal of violence and the restraint of violence right here and right now. If we believe that there is a day coming when the hungry will be fed, where the lonely will be set into families, then right here and right now we will feed the poor. And we will seek and search out the lonely and we will enfold them into our lives because that's what we hope for. If we believe that there's a day coming when we're going to be made right as individual people, when we're going to be restored to the human image that we were meant for, then we will live lives right now of repentance and faith and we'll make use of the means of grace to weaken the power of sin in our lives. And church, that's what Advent hope does. Advent hope, if it's really our hope, will make us work for the life of the world. (laughs) It will make us seek the renewal of all things under the gracious and peaceable rule of Jesus until that day that he comes. Let me pray for us. Father, you know us, you know our hearts, you know the way that we're bent. You know all the weird stuff that we hope in, all of the strange, lesser, smaller, puny things that we hope in. And so we ask that you would rework our hopes and rework our loves and that you would point us again in the right direction. That you would make us be a people who believe wholeheartedly, full-throatedly with, our, with the blood that pumps through our veins, with our hands, with our feet, that there is a day coming when justice and peace will be restored and all that is wrong will be made right again and all darkness will go away. Father, help us to believe and hope and live into that so that we could mature as followers of Jesus and so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world until that day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.